In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues in the many fields of knowledge, all are steps on the path of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. Omanjushri, please accomplish this. Okay. Okay, okay. So, uh, Tonight, tonight is class uh, nine. And uh, out of 13, but I, I think, I think we need to add a class that's like a review of the uh, of the core material of the classifications of mind because this book has gone like way off into other topics which are some of which are great but uh, some of which are not all that interesting and some are like endlessly repetitive and like endless amount of detail of minor variations in the traditions and uh, it's really important that we get like the crucial bit of information down which uh, just briefly like we want to know about valid cognition the uh, definition of valid cognition What is uh, what are the divisions? Sense direct, mental direct. We've talked about those two. We've never really talked about self-aware and yogic direct. Maybe a tiny bit here and there, but uh, the opposite, seeming direct. Inferential valid cognition. So that's coming up. That's uh, reason, inferential reasoning. So we'll go through that. Inferential valid cognition for oneself and others. And this, by the way, is, is the outline of the text, the low-rick classifications of mind core uh, root text by Kempo Solchum. That provides like a really good, concise, uh, but thorough presentation of this material. And uh, then we have the scheme of three levels of valid cognition, which I'll come back to in a minute. Then we have non-valid cognition. And uh, there was this really important distinction between mistaken cognition 
and um, uh, wrong cognition. And the terminology varies, but there's this important distinction between cognition where we're basically making a cognitive error uh, or, or we're perceiving things erroneously due to uh, faults in either the sense uh, apparatus, the sensory systems, or the conditions in which we're observing sensory data. Yellow mountains, double moons, things like that. And then there's uh, the fact that uh, valid um, uh, conceptual cognitions are inherently mistaken because they merge the appearing object with the engaged object. And uh, I think next week we go through the four types of object which are crucial. Yeah, next week, the four, uh, part four, how the mind engages its objects. So we'll do that next week and uh, refine that nuance I just mentioned. And then how uh, mode of engagement of minds that apprehend generalities and particulars, uh, all these distinctions of different types of conceptuality. And we've been through a number of these. Um, you may not recognize this terminology, you may not recognize this sort of, uh, of a uh, taxonomy of uh, categories, but uh, we've been through most of these. So I'll circulate this again, but uh, briefly I wanted to, let's see. Oh, show you this one thing. Darn, this is not it. Where's the... Ah, uh... <gasps> here it is. Okay, you guys ready? Who's here? Okay. Okay, so here's, here's the scheme of... Uh, the result of valid cognition is uh, valid comprehension, I guess you might say correct understanding, knowledge, correct knowledge. And there's three levels of it. Valid cognition where there's no analysis or like really understanding of the subtleties of the situation of the system. Slight analysis and then extensive analysis. And these three stages can also be uh, somewhat correlated to the three wheels of the Dharma. The first wheel being the Four Noble Truths, the second wheel being emptiness, and the third wheel being uh, the uh, fine distinctions between the way things are empty and the way things are not empty. Uh, it's really the technical description of the third wheel, although often we just say Buddha nature, luminosity. But it really has more to do with understanding in what way things are empty and not empty. But Okay, so each of them has four, a, a verse that has four lines. In terms of unexamined, commonly accepted understanding, the outer object itself, the supposedly, you know, like the glass 
or the book that you're looking at. is asserted to be the object of comprehension. We, the sort of commonplace or Hinayana, Vaibhashika, level of understanding of cognition is we cognize some uh, truly real outer object or independent object. The apprehended aspect is, uh, to, is the valid cognizer. So when the mind apprehends an object of comprehension, and the term apprehend means uh, sort of understands or, or uh, grokks or um, connects with cognitively. And we do that with a valid cognizer, with uh, the sense cognitions that are valid, direct valid cognizers, or with an inferential valid cognizers. So valid cognition has two types, direct is non-conceptual through the senses, and indirect is through logical reasoning. And the cognition of the object is said to be the result of valid cognition. We understand the book, the glass, the lamp, the chair. We see them. We, we know them as what they are. In terms of slight analysis, the apprehended aspect is asserted to be the object of comprehension. So. In the first one, the apprehended aspect was the valid cognizer. Here, it's like pushed out. Each, each of these three stages pushes out all the different aspects. So here, the apprehended aspect is, is what appears in the valid cognition, in the, in the, the cognitive mind, it, within consciousness. What appears is asserted to be the object of comprehension. So this is... Uh, more like the Sautrantika or the Madhyamaka type of understanding is that basically what we see is what our mind uh, takes the shape of. Our mind takes the shape of what we think are outer objects. And that's the object of comprehension. And we think, oh, that appearance in my mind is the representation it was was is an impression made by an outer object we don't really know whether or not but we we um, uh, from this sec in terms of slide analysis we're cognizing that appearing object the object that appears in our cognitive framework and is app that's what's apprehended and the apprehending aspect is still a valid cognizer same thing so we saw the subject hasn't changed but the object has gone from an outer object to the inner replication of that object and self-awareness is the result of valid cognition so here we had the cognition of the object thinking that there's an outside object is the result of valid cognition and the second stage self-awareness because the object is within our awareness. The object of comprehension is the apprehended aspect that exists within our cognitive framework. And so what we're doing is we're generating self-awareness of the, the, the appearing aspect, the aspect that appears in our cognitive framework. And then with extensive analysis, when we thoroughly analyze this by logic, <clears throat> clear awareness 
empty of duality is asserted to be the object of comprehension. So what are we actually cognizing? We're cognizing clear awareness, <laughs> empty of duality. There's no duality ultimately. And that's what we're cognizing. We're cognizing the non-duality of reality. The apprehending aspect is the valid cognizer again in all cases. We're cognizing validly, and that's the subject. And self-awareness again is the result of valid cognition. So uh, we'll go through the next few chapters and we'll come back to this and we'll have like a little review as well. Non-valid cognition, wrong cognition and doubt, and then the five essential modes of engagement. Generality, particulars, appearance and elimination, verbal expression, contradiction, connection, the triad of definition, definiendum, and example. Definition, definiendum, and defin definiens, or something like that. And then types of phenomena, contradictory, types of cognition, and so forth. And then we'll go through these verses. Okay, so enough of this. Let's dive into tonight's uh, reading. Much more fascinating, but not, uh, well, I don't know, maybe not quite as uh, helpful for understanding the true nature of reality. First, we have Gross and Subtle Minds in Highest Yoga Tantra, which is chapter 16 in this book. And it's uh, unnumbered, but the next page is 214. So by process of uh, logical reasoning, we determine that we're on page 215. How am I doing? Okay. Gross and subtle minds in, oh, no, I skipped a chapter. In uh, the shared tradition, who are we sharing it with? Why do we have to share all the time? Okay, so we're in chapter 15, Gross and Subtle Minds in the Shared Traditions. And this little chapter is obsessed with the idea of gross and subtle. And it doesn't do a whole lot more. It just basically points out that there's different levels of cognitive um, worlds, basically. And uh, I think the main point, which isn't, that well fleshed out here, but um, uh, was fleshed out really well in, in a talk I was listening to by my teacher, Alan Wallace, my new teacher, Lama Alan Wallace, as he's called, <laughs> is that the way that the reality uh, manifests is that the uh, the uh, form realms come out of the formless realms. That there's these formless realms of existence. Beings without any form. So there, uh, what is, what, what's left without form? Before aggregates of feeling, discernment, mental factors or formations and consciousness are left in the formless realms. 
And so beings who don't have a material aspect to them, but do have a mental aspect of mind. And uh, so they exist in that sort of formless way in uh, realms that, that are mind-made. I, I guess from this point of view, all realms are mind-made, but it's easier to, to, I think, to understand or to accept the formless realms as being mind-made because all there is is mind. And then out of the formless realms, the form realms develop or manifest or emanate. And di there's many different types of each of these. There's four broad categories of the formless realms. There's four broad categories of the form realms. And so the form realms emanate. And in the form realms, there's subtle form and there's no gross form. So it's like the, the essence of the elements exists in the, in the form realms, the pure form realms. And the way these, these realms manifest is based upon the uh, predilections of the uh, consciousness, the, the conscious programming of sentient beings in those realms. They're conditioned to experience a certain environment and so they experience that environment. And it's a little bit hard to say which comes first, the chicken or the egg. And then out of the form realms emanate the desire realms that consist of gross matter, as well as the other aggregates. And the desire, the first two realms, formless and form, are all gods. There's no other beings from the six realms in those realms. And then in the desire realm, there's beings from all the six realms, including the gods are in the desire realms. And again, the manifestation is um, an indication of the uh, habitual patterning of sentient beings in those realms that determines why all of us looking at each other here tonight were born in this place that we call Earth, planet Earth and the solar system that we're in. What is the name of our solar system? Does our solar system have a name? That's weird, isn't it? Our galaxy has a name. Why don't we have a name of our solar system? I was just going through that the other day and I was like, the sun? Well, yeah, our solar system. I mean, it doesn't have a name, does it? Yeah, I think we should come up with a name. So I, I'd like you to work on that for homework for next week. And and then everybody come in with a suggested name for a solar system. And we'll, we'll see which one is the most liked. And we'll, we'll choose that. Because our galaxy is, is named after a candy bar, I think, right? The Milky Way. <laughs> but not the solar system anyway um, well, the name of our sun is soul i think that's it it's the tricky one we're the solar system this that's the name of our solar system the solar system oh yeah. so solar system is both a generic general term as well as the for name us. of for other there... stars then it's like alpha centauri system. yeah our star our sun is called soul so 
Your sound is a little problematic there, Emily. We, we can't really hear you. Sounded like you were speaking from another solar system. So, but but can you say that there are other there are other solar systems, or is there just this one our solar system? So you'd have to say star systems. Right. I but I think our we've extended our term out. Yeah. So we say the other solar systems have other names, but ours it's confusing because we're the sol ours is. I see. It's like there's other brands of, of Kleenex. <laughs> or Uber or whatever, yeah. I see. Okay. Anyway, that that uh, I never really thought of it that way, that the, the realms emerge from each other in this way. And our Ali Vijnana's... Um, encompass all the three realms and our Aliyah Vijnana comes together through the habitual patterning from beginningless time that's uh, developed in the Aliyah Vijnana by virtue of past experience and predilections developed thereon, thereupon to result in us all thinking that we live in the same place and that we see the same things. Okay, so uh, there's different levels of uh, matter. There's gross and subtle levels of matter, and there's gross and subtle levels of consciousness. So the consciousness of the desire realm is the lowest level of consciousness, and there's different differentiations between levels of subtlety and the types of consciousness between sense consciousnesses and mental consciousnesses. And then there's... Uh, the form realm is a, a much subtler form of consciousness, and the formless realm has the most subtle type of consciousness. So otherwise, I didn't really think it made much sense to go through this chapter. Except the last, let's see, the... the the, the last page has two paragraphs. Also, in terms of the realms, the mind of the desire realm is considered to be gross because it has both inquiry and analysis. I don't know what they have against those, but I guess those are gross. It's sort of like when you're a kid, you're obsessed with like what's gross, right? I've never seen Buddhist scholars be so obsessed by what's gross and subtle. Um, and it has feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And compare with that, the mind of the first absorption is subtler. It's free of painful feeling. The second, third, and fourth absorption is free even of happiness and is endowed only with neutral feeling. So it's even subtler than the third. And the four formless states, they're totally free of any discernment of form and are posited in terms of the order of subtlety of their objects. The first formless state is limitless space, then limitless consciousness, then limitless nothingness, and the final one, the mind of the peak of cyclic existence, i.e. samsara, is said to be the most subtle of all since its object and mental image are unclear, and it's known as the formless realm of neither perception nor non-perception, which sounds like totally like blurry and vagueness but 
it's actually the most subtle because it doesn't it sort of realizes the non-duality of uh, of phenomena um okay gross and subtle minds in the highest yoga tantra chapter 16 page 213 One of the most important presentations in psychology found in the Indian Buddhist sources emerges in the treatises of the highest yoga tantras, tantra in general, in particular, and the cycle of teachings pertaining to Guya Samaja Tantra, as outlined, for example, in the Garjana's Five Stages, Arya Deva's Lamp. So, uh, this is the Galupa system is focused on one of the two uh, traditions of tantra that come down and form the uh, the main traditions of Tantra in the uh, new translation schools. Um, I guess you could say there's, well, the the tradition of Nagarjuna and Aryadeva are the main one that the Galupas adhere to, and they're, they're the father lineage. And uh, it starts with a text by Nagarjuna called The Five Stages, where he maps out the progression of uh, Vajrayana practice in these five stages that correspond to what we read last week about the essence of Vajrayana, about bringing the winds into the central channel and the drops and stuff, from, you know, into the smallest vacuole of the empty essence of the heart, right? You guys got all that, right? down that was only the most uh obscure and secretive part of vajrayana so good it's good that you forgot it <laughs> um and the text uh, the main tantra is guya samaja and nagarjuna writes a commentary on it arya deva writes a commentary on that nagabodhi and then naropa our Naropa writes a major commentary on this tradition. And uh, so he partakes uh, to some extent in this tradition. These texts present many points that do not come up in the explanations of psychology found in the scriptures common to the Buddhist uh, Hinayana and Mahayana traditions. For example, these texts explain that the consciousnesses have wind as their mount or medium in that sense. At the very, at the subtle level, wind and mind constitute the same entity. Matter and consciousness constitute the same entity at the subtlest level. So non-duality, the duality that exists in other traditions of Buddhism of form and consciousness or matter and consciousness dissolves explicitly in the tantric systems as being of the same entity or essence in terms of wind and consciousness being the same and those being the subtlest level of matter and mind respectively similarly many of the activities of consciousness are explained in terms of its mount or medium the wind also if we take the example of something like the relationship between the external objects and the internal mind there are explanations of the relationship between the internal and external elements from the perspective of the functionings of the wind so everything is described as uh, in terms of how the winds operate the analogy the the equivalence of mind and wind becomes a, a way of explaining the operation of the mind, interestingly, in the Vajrayana system. Since these 
and other explanations are taught in such detail. Here we offer a brief explanation about the presentation of mind as found in the text of the highest yoga tantras. In general, the text of the highest yoga tantras distinguish consciousness into two types, adventitious and primordial. Which do you prefer? <laughs> adventitious refers to several types. Sense consciousnesses, such as visual, which depend on a physical sense faculty, the gross mental consciousnesses, such as recollections from the past, present, or future. Interesting that you can recollect something from the future, uh, which depend on the mental sense faculty, the root and secondary mental afflictions, and the minds of the three luminosities. And these are all adventitious and if you haven't read the chapter, you should be wondering, what are the three luminosities? And if you have read the chapter, you should be saying, oh, right. <laughs> Such adventitious consciousnesses exist when there are, when there is a gross bodily basis. So when the gross bodily basis ceases, as in the four realms, the adventitious consciousnesses also gradually cease, as in at the time of death i.e. the second type of consciousness primordial is not adventitious. Adventitious, as we know, means sort of uh, uh, incidental, not essential. Comes and goes, temporary, conditioned, causes and conditions. It's explained that just as water and wetness are inseparable, so too both the very subtle primordial innate mind of clear light, which is the ultimate mind in the this Kalupa system of Tantra, and the very subtle wind that is its mount abide inseparably at all times within all sentient beings. Moreover, the gross, excuse me, <clears throat> the gross adventitious consciousnesses arise from that primordial innate consciousness, which has arisen continuously without beginning. Did anyone wonder why do they arise at uh, you know, why does that happen? Good. Okay. Moreover, the gross adventitious consciousnesses arise from that. I just said that, sorry. They occur on the basis of the gross life-sustaining wind, which is one of the five major winds of the ten winds that we went through at some point, until the subtle mind of death manifests. During the death process, the gross adventitious consciousnesses that are, the base, that are based on the gross life-sustaining wind gradually become subtler and dissolve into the very subtle primordial innate consciousness itself. The state during the time of abiding within the subtle primordial mind is called the clear light of death. That time uh, in between life and one life and the next where everything has subsided. After that, the gross winds again, once again manifest out of the subtle life-sustaining wind which is the basis of the primordial consciousness. So what is it that continues between births? It's the subtle primordial consciousness that is based on the subtle life-sustaining wind. Simultaneously, the consciousness, having exited from the physical basis of this life, establishes the intermediate state known as the bardo, and the gross adventitious consciousnesses arise or re-arise from the primordial consciousness. Next paragraph. Now, if we take a human being as an example, 
When the external breathing stops at death, the blood flow to the brain is halted and the brain stops functioning according to general medical accounts. That means death. However, in the high Yoga Tantra or secret mantra, they say that what happens next is a sequence of gradual dissolution. And there's all these stages of dissolution described in the Tantras. First, there's the dissolution into the mind of what's called luminous appearance then luminous radiance, and then luminous imminence, the three luminosities, and finding the dawning of the very subtle consciousness, I just said is the one that uh, uh, goes from life to life, which is the mind of the clear light of death. At this point, all the sense consciousness have ceased, and given that all those varied appearances normally experienced by ordinary gross mental cognitions have also ceased at this point, it must be accepted that such objective appearances no longer remain. This way of identifying the stages of gross and subtle consciousness is mentioned in such texts as Naropa's clear compilation of the five stages. Entities have a twofold mode of being, that of the mind and that of the body. In terms of their states, there is the coarse, the subtle, and the very subtle. Their common mode of being is their indivisibility at their root. In terms of consciousness in general, the sense consciousnesses are gross. The 80 conceptions and the root and secondary mental afflictions are subtle, and the minds of the four empty states are very subtle. We've been through the root and secondary mental afflictions when we went through mental uh, factors recently, mental formations. The 80 conceptions we're about to come to, as well as the correlation of the four empties with the three luminosities and the clear light of day, death. Furthermore, it's said that among these states, those states, the fourth state, that of the mind of the clear light of death, is very subtle. In terms of the mental consciousness, it's said that thoughts that are part of the 80 conceptions are gross. The first three empty states at the time of the basis, namely the luminous appearance, luminous radiance, and luminous imminence, the three luminous, luminous luminosities are subtle and the fourth the empty state the mind of the clear light of death is a very subtle mind <clears throat> now they went through uh gross subtle and very subtle starting with the 80 conceptions and uh, just to note that the root and secondary mental afflictions would also be in the category of gross. How these consciousnesses become gross or subtle is also determined by the winds that are the basis of each consciousness, inseparably mixed with them as one entity, being gross or subtle or moving to a greater or lesser degree. Moving, meaning literally, uh, on the mount of the wind. That consciousness has wind as its mount, as stated in the Garshanas five stages, it is the mount of consciousness, it referring to wind, cousin it. Um, and if Nagarjuna said it, then it must be true. And the fact that Nagarjuna wrote a tantric text is a matter of great wonder, given that he lives in 150 to 250. In what sense is consciousness moved by the wind? The text explained that without relying on the wind, consciousness has no ability to engage with an object. <laughs> if you remember the definition of consciousness is that which engages with an object and it can't do that without its wind. So to say that it has a wind as its mount and thereby it's able to do what it's 
uh, its entity does is basically just like giving a name to an activity and creating like an entity to that process. The mind engaging with an object, you could in the earlier systems we say that's what the mind does, is it engages with an object, it goes towards its object, it turned towards, we saw the terms averting, the mind averts towards its objects. And here we have another description that says, well, the mind uh, books a ticket on a, one of its winds and it flies on the wind towards its object. So uh, lest you, you sort of get very uh, clunky about this uh, description, you should realize that it's just a, a, a sort of a matter of uh, terminology. Uh, let's see. For example, Arya Davis Lamp says, although this is so, the three types of consciousness have appearances that they function when they are conjoined with the wind element. And the three types, I guess, would be the gross, subtle, and very subtle. This means that although the three, oh, sorry, luminous appearance, radiance, and luminous eminence are not physical because they have objects that fluctuate with the wind which doesn't tell us a whole lot yet because we don't know what those luminosities are really. Therefore, engaging with an object by way of the wind means that the mind engages with an object by mounting the wind, like you would mount a horse, I guess. It's uh, just like this uh, sort of metaphorical way of describing how the wind, the mind moves towards objects. Within that, there are two possibilities according to whether or not the wind diverts the mind to the object, how wind and mind on the next page 216, which are inseparably mixed, function with regard to an object as expressed in Arya Davis' lamp. And Arya Davis' lamp, by the way, is uh, translated into English, if you're interested, you can find it. All super mundane activities are to be fulfilled by means of the subtle element in the minds of luminous appearance and so on, since they're not physical, non-physical, having become mixed like butter poured into butter. So here it states that since they're mixed like butter and in butter, wind and mind perform their activities regarding the object by way of constituting the same entity. So how, how is it that the same entity has two different names? Their names indicate two different functions or aspects of the same entity, presumably, as in many other cases of phenomena that have two different names, two or more. Such as the fire is hot and burning. Here we say consciousness is cognizes and and moves like wind. Also, when the gross winds have gradually dissolved and are functioning with increasing subtlety, then the object and the mental image within the consciousness dependent on them likewise become gradually more subtle too. And uh, so, it, gradually, maybe it becomes clear that this description of mind or consciousness as wind is a way of sort of of helping one understand the different levels of subtlety and grossness of the mind based on the strength or intensity of the wind or the movement of, or the uh, sort of the energetic movement of awareness. From the Vajra Garland Tantra, we have the winds gradually disintegrate, the former into the latter ones respectively, dissolving into their own nature, and then again into something that I've never seen before, and there was 
not a helpful footnote on. Did anybody look up this word? Is this an English word? Mucolinda. <laughs> I neglected to look it up. At the time of death, the preceding winds gradually dissolve into the subsequent winds. This is an odd phrase. And they continue to dissolve until reaching the subtle life-sustaining wind here called Mucilinda or Mucilinda. It's a, Derek, it's a Naga. It's the name of a Naga, a snake-like being. The Naga who protected the Buddha from the elements after his enlightenment. Does not sound like what they're talking about here, but that's one. That's the first thing that came up. I'll keep looking. Okay, that's cool. So that's the name of the naga that spreads out over the Buddha and protects him from the elements or the arrows or whatever. Cool. Okay. So Seven-headed kinda... naga. Because uh, all those winds, you know, got seven heads. That's right. Let's see, the quote is, having done all this in the body, they finally enter into the indestructible, which doesn't add a whole lot. For me, at the final moment of death, the winds having dissolved into the very subtle indestructible wind at the heart center, one enters into clear light. That is an absence. And this is the way the uh, Galupa tradition describes the ultimate state as an absence. According to the highest yoga tradition in general, when each of the four elements within its own continuum dissolves into the next, the movement of wind lessens. So that was uh, that's an explanation of the phrase, the subsequent, the previous winds uh, dissolve into the subs, uh, what was it? The winds gradually dissolve into the subsequent ones, the preceding winds. Uh, so the four elements within one's own continuum dissolve into the next, the winds the movement of wind lessens. Finally, when the winds that move the indicative conceptions together with the consciousnesses, does, so the indicative, there's 80 indicative uh, conceptions, and we'll see a list of those shortly, and they're indicative of uh, certain states of mind. I think that's why they're called indicative conceptions. Um, and uh, there's together with their consciousnesses that they indicate or they're indicative of when they dissolve into the first luminosity so there's uh what is it 33 of them dissolve into the first luminosity so that's the first phase of dissolution after the breath has stopped there's the first stage of dissolution which is this uh, 33 um uh, indicative conceptions related to i think avarice that dissolve and create the state of the first luminosity. Then the indicative conceptions cease, those 33, only to which the three empty states, the minds of luminous appearance, radiance, and eminence, and the fourth empty state, the mind of clear light of death, arise in order. They appear because the movement of each wind has gradually become weaker than the preceding one. So there's basically a collapsing of the cognitive framework of a sentient being into the very essence of a sentient being, which in this description is called the very subtle primordial consciousness that rides on the very subtle wind. Uh, let's see. They appear because the movement of each wind has gradually become weaker than the preceding one. Then at the time of 
uh, birth, sorry, when a tiny movement of wind emerges from the wind of clear light. And why does it move? Because of uh, karmic momentum of the, the life force wind. That's very subtle wind has that karmic momentum in it, where it will, unless the unless that karmic momentum is severed or altered through the uh, through what happens on the path, then that life force wind will once again move and re regenerate into a sentient being. A tiny movement of wind emerges from the wind of clear light, the luminous eminence, imminence, sorry, the luminous radiance and the luminous appearance arise. So they collapse in a certain order, appearance, radiance, imminence, and then they re-arise, imminence, appearance, radiance. You'll see these more commonly translated as uh, appearance, luminosity, and uh, near attainment is what they're usually called. Uh, let's see, and then the luminous appearance rise because each wind has progressively become stronger than the preceding one. When out of the wind of the luminous appearance, the movement of wind becomes stronger than the indicative conceptions arise. The luminous appearance was the first in the dissolution and the last in the reappearance. And then after it reappears, then you've the, uh, all the, the you know, 80 types of uh, indicative conceptions re-arise and you have the conceptual framework of ascension being presto, presto change or whatever. The 80 conceptions indicative of the minds of the three luminosities. <laughs> what a title, huh? Uh, according to the Guya Samaja cycle, the three luminosities are appearance, radiance and eminence in the context of explaining these three very subtle minds a presentation is made of their corresponding 80 conceptions the consciousness is indicating the three luminosities which are so their corresponding 80 conceptions which are the consciousness is indicating the three luminosities which are there's 33 in the nature of the luminous appearance 40 in the nature of the luminous radiance and seven in the nature of the luminous imminence and they're usually affiliated with the three roots or the three poisons of avarice or aggression it's the 33 the first one 40 is desire attachment and then seven is indifference i believe or stupidity these 80 as well as the 108 conceptions similarly mentioned in the vajra garland tantra so another whole list that uh, um, based on the fact that they don't describe it any further, presumably is basically of the same nature as the 80, um, our very subtle consciousness is because they depend on the slightest movement of their own mount, the principal subtle life-sustaining wind. So that's the essential wind that transmigrates. How these conceptions are moved by the wind, that is their mount, is explained by Nagabodhi in his book, Clarifying the Meaning of the Five Stages, where he says to present the response to an opponent's objection, wind, divorce of consciousness, cannot know an object. 
He quotes from the Arjuna as Panchakrama, or five stages. It is the mount of consciousness, where the word it refers directly to the wind. We saw that quote earlier. Anyways, so it is through being mounted on the wind that the respective consciousness knows an object. I don't know if that would have done it for me, that explanation, but... As for the identification of each of the 81st, the 33 conceptions and the nature of the first luminous appearance are listed in five stages. And so just to make it a little bit more interesting and engaging, the three uh, stages of, uh, of uh, luminosities, the three luminosities, the first one, appearance, uh, the, the cognitive experience of that is um, like the light of a full moon night. I believe that's the way it's described. So it's not like sunlight, uh, but it, it's like uh, the way moonlight has that pale quality to it. And then the second luminosity has a reddishness, like uh, before dawn or after sunset. And then the third one, near what they call imminence or near attainment, usually translated as near attainment, that one is darkness. And then everything collapses and the great white light dawns. You know, it's like the lights go on. <laughs> like you're in a public building when the fire alarm goes on, it's like, Everything goes goes wild, uh, and then they list these things: non-desire um, of three types, mental going and coming. Now, the correlation of these thirty-three with avarice or aggression is uh, not easy to see. I, I can't see that in many cases. Um, Peace, conceptualization, how are those related to that? But, you know, we have fear, we have craving, grasping. Those are usually affiliated with uh, attachment. So the affiliation of the gross conceptions to the three root poisons is a uh, pressured affiliation or correlation. And then they go through the enumeration. They describe them slightly which we don't have to go through. And then on the next page, 219, um, as for the 40 and the nature of the second luminous radiance, and then they list those from Nagarshana's five stages, and they give a slight explanation of those. And then on the bottom of 220, we have the seven and the nature of the luminous imminence or near attainment from the five stages and this one is a little easier to see how it correlates with the third uh, root poison of ignoring or, or stupidity, indifference, forgetfulness, error, non-speaking, disenchantment, laziness, doubt. And let's see. This division of conceptions into three groups on page 221 can be further subdivided into three levels of subtlety based on whether through the force of winds the strength of the conception's movement toward an object is lesser, middling, or great, of course. There's that scheme. So in reverse order from the clear light 
there then arises, and this is rebirth, luminous imminence, from that there arises luminous radiance, and from that there arises luminous appearance, following upon which there is an increasing movement of the winds, result, winds resulting in the arising of those conceptions in the nature of those three luminosities with regard to those conceptions. When any of the 33 arise, it is the trace of the luminous appearance, when any of the 40 is the trace of the luminous radiance, and when any of the seven is the trace of the luminous imminence. Therefore, it's taught that the conceptions are the result of the three luminosities, which then makes it confusing as to whether uh, this description implies that the conceptions arise after the three luminosities appear, whereas often it's presented that each set that's affiliated with one of the luminosities arises when that luminosity arises and then the next set with the next luminosity. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens. We can report back in our next lifetime, okay? Yeah, I'll let you know when I die. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, send us a postcard. <laughs> Calling them the nature of the three luminosities mean they characterize the three That's one of my favorite sentences. As for how they characterize the three luminosities, they do not characterize them by virtue of being the same thing as them in the way that bulbous is taken to be a defining characteristic of a pot, but rather it's like a raven, a house that has a raven in it, and you call it a house with a raven. That was, that was helpful, right? the nature of the three luminosities. That doesn't really add a whole lot, does it? Uh, the fact that, uh, let's see, the, moreover, the fact that the conceptions and the nature of the three luminosities have three levels of movements of wind, lesser, moderate, or great, indicates that their causes, the three luminosities, also have three levels of movements of wind, lesser, medium, and great. The differentiations of the conceptions into these three classes is not due to the differences in their objects or their way of apprehending their objects. Rather, it is due to the difference in the force of the winds having three levels of strength, lesser, moderate, or great, to move the conceptions toward their objects. And these differences in the force of the winds arise owing to the minds of the three luminosities. This whole paragraph doesn't add a whole lot. Indicative conceptions include all three ethical valences, virtues, non-virtues, and neutral. And since they include both conceptual and non-conceptual mental states, they should not be understood to refer only to conceptual thoughts that apprehend their objects as associable with words. Okay, so they're sort of the root of these. Was that a hand raise, Eric? Yeah, yeah. go for it. I had a question. They they evade or or sort of go over the the narratives we may have heard about the excitements of the bardo states in between death and then birth with the re-arising and they make it sound like in between death and birth there's no wind at all it's very calm and yet well, it seems like th these bardo narratives we hear involve like terrifying visions and intense emotional experiences which seem to be attached to the very luminosities which have already subsided that's why uh, figure out like, where all the activity comes from uh, in this uh, uh, there's a very 
There's a, a very subtle point that I think was not clear is that when the three luminosities arise in the reverse order into a, a birth of ascension being, that's into the the, the uh, bardo state. Oh, there we go. Right. That, yeah. Okay. So you so go from the bardo. That's not into, just into the new egg because you have to grasp into that. Right. 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 So you okay. go from the the bardo of the clear light of death, and then you re arise into the bardo of dharmata, where you see all those wonderful appearances. Okay. So that's the first wind in re arising into right. the. Okay. Got it. And then the bardo of becoming. And then the bardo of becoming exactly, and then uh, the bardo of became. <laughs> of life and so the bardo of the clear light of death is there's just a primordial consciousness of the very subtle life force wind which as you say there's like no movement it's just still clear light and uh and so there's that's called like the great death and then in between each of the bardos there's a little dissolution and i've never seen described whether there's like a full like set of the lum the three luminosities and going you know in the dissolution order and then the re-emerging into the bardo of uh um becoming you know but presumably there's sort of like a, sh a f uh, relatively fast dissolution and resolution dissolution and re-arising in each of those and I guess it's it's much more subtle because the there's no physical body and uh, so there's much less complexity. I don't know. Thank you. The presentation of subtle and very subtle mind, and when asked for identified subtle and very subtle minds, and when the luminous appearance, radiance, and eminence, along with the winds that are their mouths, are considered to be subtle, and the primordial mind, with the wind that is its mount, is considered to be very subtle. In general, three types of consciousness, luminous appearance, radiance, and eminence, are very subtle, which is different than what they just said, but... The reason they're considered to be very subtle is that their dominant condition, the mental sense faculty, is subtle, and they are mental conceptions wherein gross appearances have subsided in dependence on the very slight movement of their mouth, the subtle life-sustaining wind. Okay, so they're subtle in one sense, and they're very subtle in another sense. Both the subtle mind and the subtle wind operate inseparably as one entity. Consciousness is the part to which the object appears, and wind is the part that moves towards the object. So the engagement, the activity of engagement is called the wind, and the activity of cognition is called consciousness, and they are one entity. Having given the example of how a cripple with eyesight, clear eyesight, and a blind man with strong legs can travel as a pair from one place to another, the Kashmiri master Lakshmi mentions in his commentary in the five stages. So Lakshmi was another uh, major tantric master, I think an early progenitor of the Sakya tradition maybe, that in the case of the consciousness, moving and traveling is done by the wind that it's his mount and seeing the object is done by the consciousness. And there's no way for these two to be separated. Uh, skipping the quote, thus the divining characteristics of the three 
luminosities presented in sources such as the above excerpt are as follows. The definition of the mind of luminous appearance is a mental consciousness that occurs between the movement and dissolution of conceptions that has an inner sign of there not appearing any gross dualistic appearances apart from the dawning of a purely empty white appearance. So that's like an autumn sky filled with moonlight which I just mentioned. So that's the first stage, is that cognitive experience of the of, uh, empty, purely empty white appearance, but not like bright white of the clear light of death, but a moonlight white. Then we have the luminous appearance due to its appearing like moonlight when the winds that move the conceptions have dissolved. Oh, sorry, that's as for its etymology. It is called empty as well because it's empty of the 80 conceptions together with their winds. I, I guess uh, a little confusing whether the conceptions dissolve before these three luminosities or correlated with them, but okay. Uh, let's see. Um, the quote from Aryadeva and the defining characteristics. What are the defining characteristics of the first luminosity appearance? Without body or speech, it has a nature without shape. Having a nature of luminosity perceives all things without exception, just as the illumination from moonbeams pervades the stainless autumn sky, and thus it is the luminous appearance. It's the first emptiness, the luminous appearance of the wisdom that is the ultimate mind of enlightenment. Strangely, and the footnote is, again, the footnotes in this volume are not, you know, we're just like sources, right? They're not explanatory. But these are correlated with ultimate minds of enlightenment, presumably because the fourth stage, the uh, mind of the clear light of death, is the mind of enlightenment. So... The mind of luminous radiance, the next paragraph, is the mental consciousness that occurs between the movement and dissolution of conceptions that has an inner sign of there not appearing any gross dualistic appearances apart from a purely empty red appearance, like a clear autumn sky filled with sunlight. So that's a little bit brighter than uh, I've seen it described elsewhere, clear autumn sky filled with sunlight. As for the etymology, it's... Uh, the, these descriptions follow the same template, so we don't have to go through them in detail. But skipping the quote, the definition of luminous imminence is uh, one that has an inner sign of there not appearing any gross dualistic appearances apart from the dawning of a purely empty black appearance. A black appearance. How does blackness appear? As black, I guess. <laughs> Uh, like an autumn sky filled with a, the dense darkness of space. And etymology doesn't really add much. This one is called Great Empty as well. Oh, I see. The first one was Empty. The second is called Very Empty. <laughs> and the third one is called Great Empty. Um, and let's see the quote. Uh, characteristic of space, naturally pervading like the midnight darkness, subtle and selfless, with life force stilled, motionless, without awareness, unmoving and entry and sway, dependent on the seed syllables of speech, 
is called thoroughly established. Uh, let's see. What was this thing about the seed syllables of speech? The other ones don't have that, do they? That's interesting. It's also the, interesting to note they say specifically without awareness. Yeah. And it's important to note that this these stages of dissolution happen after the outer stages of dissolution, which are the senses collapsing. The five senses collapse, and one experiences uh, various things from like uh, dryness of mouth and um, uh, feeling like you can't move and uh, feeling of... Uh, obviously suffocation as you uh, lose the ability to breathe um, accompanied by uh, loud noises and weird visual experiences um, as the, those dissolutions occur and and that's that's probably uh, in some way more helpful is to learn the stages of outer dissolution because during those we'll, we might actually be conscious and experience those and the ideas the more familiar with them you are the easier it is to realize that you're dying which apparently is one of both the hardest things to realize while you're dying that you are dying because the the dying process is so disorienting and you're and it's so oppressive um, but it's also the most important thing to do when you're dying is to realize that you're dying and once you realize that you're dying you can try to then experience it with awareness but if you don't know what's happening then you sort of panic and it become you know sort of spirals into a, a unpleasant even more unpleasant situation so it's helpful to study those uh, let's see when the black luminous imminence dawns conditioned by the winds having abruptly ceased the object that appears in the image of blackness like a very pristine autumn sky filled with the blackness of midnight sorry the object that appears arises in the image of blackness so what what is the object that appears <laughs> that arises seems to be blackness <laughs> Yeah, that's funny wording than that one. And the other ones, they say the sign has an inner sign of there not appearing any gross dualistic appearance. An inner sign of there not appearing any gross dualistic appearance. Oh, but this quote, this is different. That's interesting. Okay. with a life force stilled. Anyway, okay, to explain the very subtle primordial mind, this is the fourth uh, stage after the three luminosities, Aryadeva's, a different text by Aryadeva says, earth dissolves into water, water dissolves into fire, fire dissolves into the subtle element, which is, um, air usually and air or wind dissolves into mind so those are the outer dissolutions earth dissolves into water 
and uh, I think first there's this oppressive quality of earth dissolving and not being able to move and then there's this oppressive quality of feeling really dry mouth um, I'm not sure what order those occur in uh, and you're still conscious and you're still hearing apparently like what's going on in the room and what people are doing and saying, but you can't uh, express anything because uh, you, you can't move, you're frozen. Fire enters the subtle element, water dissolves into fire. Okay, there's the, the uh, feeling of uh, thirst, intense thirst. And then fire dissolves into air, and that's the experience of not being able to breathe, suffocation. And then that leads into the mind passing out into the three luminosities. Mind dissolves into the mental factors, which are the 80 indicative conceptions, and mental factors dissolve into ignorance. And so mind dissolves into mental factors is shorthand for those three luminosities, where the 80 indicative conceptions dissolve and then that dissolves into ignorance which is the final dissolution which then dissolves into clear light whereupon all three samsaric existences completely cease presumably meaning that we have a form a desire form and formless realm existence as this passage passage rather states when it's caused the wisdom of uh, luminous eminence along with its mount, the winds have dissolved, the clear light dawns. One awakens out of the latter part of the luminous eminence, which is the last of the three luminous, luminouses, that is devoid of recollection, i.e. devoid of mindfulness or awareness. You're not aware of what's going on. And without even the slightest element of gross dualistic appearance, an utterly pure and completely empty appearance arises. This resembles the natural color of the sky at dawn without any of the three faults, sunlight, moonlight, and darkness, tainting the pristine autumn sky. Pale, pale, pale light of dawn. This mental consciousness of the basic state that is supported by its mouth, a very subtle primordial wind, is positive as the extremely subtle primordial mind of the basic state. It has the potentiality to give rise to all good qualities and faults. It's present in every sentient being's continuum, flowing continuously since beginningless time. Without a break for even a single moment, its nature remains untainted by pollutants. Since the pollutants arise from inappropriate appropriate attention as their condition they are adventitious and that they're separable from the clear light mind this primordial mind is the subtlest of any mind of the basic state and that very subtle primordial mind in its mouth the very subtle wind that is inseparable from that primordial mind are a very subtle and inseparable wind and mind unit which are together referred to as the primordial body mind funny how they describe that sort of uh, in such a repetitive way. The wind that is the mount of the primordial mind is called the life-sustaining wind. In general, of the two types of life-sustaining wind, gross and subtle, the wind that's the mount of the primordial is the subtle. Obviously, the life-sustaining wind that is the base of the extremely subtle mind is explained as dwelling at the heart center. The heart center referred to here in the case of a human being is situated at the central point between the two breasts closer to the back. And the statement uh, in 
in the case of a human being, indicates that all sentient beings have these centers or chakras in their bodies of some sorts, including, oh, they all have a heart center, I guess. At this point, there are knots around the central channel, both above and below, which are knots formed by the two uh, next largest channels, the Lalana and the Rasana, or the Lalana, 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 and the Rasana, the right and left channels. Between these knots and within the central channel dwells the indestructible knot. Drop, sorry, the indestructible knot. <laughs> the indestructible drop. This is what is being referred to as the heart in this context, the indestructible drop. That's between the, the knot above and the knot below, below in the central channel. Is being referred to as a drop. This is the gross life-sustaining wind during the basic state flows in and out of the nostrils and dwells in the area of the channel at the heart center, though it does not dwell inside the duty, the central channel, at the knot at the heart center explained above. The subtle life-sustaining wind is inseparable from the very subtle mind of clear light being the mount of that mind and is said to be a very subtle wind that is indestructible and that emanates light rays of five colors and dwells within the duty, which seems to be short for of a duty, the central channel at the knot of the heart center. They do seem to be going on endlessly about this heart, uh, mind, wind entity, a condensed explanatory tantra, which is a subtle hint that there's different types of tantras. There's a root tantra, and then there's uh, extensive explanatory tantras, which are very long, as indicated by extensive, and then there's condensed that are shorter explanatory tantras. In, in, inquiry, inquiry of the four goddesses says, supremely subtle, merely half the size of a white mustard seed is the form of the drop that is the basis of the mind, always dwelling in the center of the heart and radiating magnificent light, sorry, rays of light. The innate wind that dwells in its own place after the dissolution of the other winds is precisely this very subtle life-sustaining wind. Are they saying there that the wind and the drop are the same or not? I think they're saying that it's the same. It seems like it, which is interesting because often, you know, the winds and the drops are seen as separate. Distinct. The winds move the drops. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I guess in this case, the, at the very subtle level, the wind, mind, drop are all the same. By the way, just relative to that question earlier about the Musalinda, which I, Mukalinda, I did not find any other meanings, but I kind of was wondering if it might be a metaphoric reference to like the Avaduti or something like that. Yeah, the, the, which is often referred to as a serpent mm -hmm. and sort of protecting the heart center. Yeah, so I kind of yeah. think that there's like the outer level of it is the snake image that protected the Buddha and the inner level is somehow is part of this inner uh, framework that is used in the, and that's my best guess but I did not find any uh, anything on that in uh, the online world yeah what was it three three two uh, it's from the Vajramala the Vajramala is now translated 
Does anybody want to find it and look it up? <laughs> I guess I'm the only one who has the, the translation. An, uh, yeah, I guess so. So I'll have to find it. Okay, I'll get back to you next week on it. The stages of dissolution of mind and when and those of death and dying, how does the gross mind dissolve into the subtle and the subtle mind give rise to the grosser levels of mind? First, according to the tradition of the Kalat Chakra tradition, which has its own unique description of basically everything. In the case of a human being with the six elements, when the elements dissolve in stages at the time of death, first the water element puts out the fire element, then the earth element is subsumed into the water element and vanishes, then the water element is dried up by the wind element, then the wind and space elements gradually dissolve and disappear. Let's see. The water puts out the fire. So only that's a water. different order than the one that they said before. Right? Just, yeah, you know, yeah. The first two are flipped, I think. The earth element is subsumed into water and vanishes. So water has taken over fire and earth, and then water is dried up by wind, and wind and space dissolve and disappear. At that time, when the knot in the central channel has unraveled on its own, and the movement of winds in both the right and left channels has ceased, and the winds enter the central channel and dissolve, at which point all object-based conceptualizations will have ceased. The mind of natural clear light with an aspect of being empty like the sky and free from all limitations of proliferations appears by its own nature. So what is it? Appearance, increase, near attainment, and full attainment. That's it. I left out that. So that pure, that sky at dawn of the natural color of the sky at dawn without any of the three faults on top of 225 is the fourth stage of dissolution before the clear light and it's called full attainment there's near attainment and full attainment but they didn't describe it as a separate luminosity there's usually these four luminosities and then the clear light okay we'll have to check on that and ask them about that Okay, the mind of natural clear light with an aspect of being empty like the sky and free from limitations appears by its own nature. This is called the dawning of the clear light of death. For example, it says in a chapter of the stainless light, which is a commentary on the Kala Chakra, the Vimala Prabhasa, uh, by water, and so on, indicates that fire is destroyed by water, so we just go through the same thing. So let's see. At the end of the quote, towards the end, it says, Then the mind, the foundation, consciousness, Aliya Vijnana, should be placed in fire and the final darkness. That is, it should be placed in the central ground, the space element, the form of all aspects that is devoid of objects. <laughs> That's pretty clear, right? Clear as light. <laughs> clear as the light at death, the death light. Uh, let's see. It should be placed in the central ground, the space element. <laughs> could you place this over, could you place this object in space for me? In the middle of space, right in the middle of space. <laughs> no, that's not the middle. <laughs> 
Here, foundation consciousness refers to the clear light mind, and the phrase fire and final darkness. Darkness refers to luminous imminence at the time of death. And fire refers to the clear light of death that arises from the luminous imminence. They're not splitting the imminence into near attainment and then full attainment. This clear light of death is experienced by ordinary people, but they're unable to recognize it. So most of us pass out when the clear light dawns. If we haven't passed out before, which is likely. Thus it is taught that when the sense consciousnesses are manifesting during the basic state, the sense consciousnesses are gross. Uh, that might be life during life, basic state, then from when the sense consciousness have ceased until the dissolution of the winds that move the conceptions, the mind is subtle through the three luminosities. Next, the winds that move the conceptions dissolve those three luminosities. And from this point until the winds that are the mounts of the three luminosities dissolve, the mind is very subtle. And when the clear light mind arises upon the dissolution of the winds that are the mounts of the three luminosities, the mind is extremely subtle. Again, an obsession with how gross and subtle things are. According to the traditional highest yoga tantra in general, when a womb-born human, as opposed to a non-womb-born human, endowed, being endowed with the six elements, dies, the gradual dissolution of the gross consciousness occurs as a result of the gradual dissolution of the elements and so on, which function as the basis of the gross consciousness. How the inner and outer signs and so forth appears explained in the Guya Samaja subsequent tantra is another type of tantra, as opposed to the root is the root in subsequent tantras and then explanatory ones. The elements of the signs are five in number. This Bodhivajra has explained, who's the, like the main actor in the tantra, I guess. The mirage-like is the first, the smoke-like the second, like fireflies the third, the fourth is like an oil lamp, the fifth is constant clarity, like a cloudless sky. By way of the immutable Vajra path, they emanate throughout the realms of space. So these are sensory experiences that occur during the dissolutions of uh, the luminosities. I think the I think they occur in the order given here, starting with the first luminosity. But let's see what they say. When the form aggregate stages of dissolution are like this: when the form aggregate begins to dissolve, the earth element becomes less able to function and uh, as the basis of consciousness together with the weakening of the ability of the earth element the ability of the water element to function as the base of consciousness becomes clearer on account of this ordering it is said that the earth element dissolves into the water however the earth element does not become the water similar process continues until fire dissolves into wind the outer signs are said to be that one's limbs become thinner sunken and lusterless one's body seems to be dissolving underground one's eyes become unclear and so on the inner signs according to Smudge, are said to be the rising of mirage-like experiences and so forth nagabodhi explains from that, an adept should know the signs of entering into the clear light. In the case of the form aggregate, all the limbs shrink and the body becomes feeble and loose. When the exalted mirror-like wisdom dissolves, hair-like hallucinations occur. When the earth element stops functioning, the entire body becomes dry. And when the eye sense faculty stops functioning, the eyes change and shrink. When physical objects cease, one's body loses its luster and becomes completely emaciated. 
yet another description of the dissolutions, which is uh, sort of slightly confusing. The aggregate of feeling dissolves after the form aggregate. At this point, the water element becomes less able to function as base of consciousness, whereas the ability of the fire element becomes more obvious. Among the outer signs is the fact that the moisture of the body dries up. The mouth becomes dry, and even the liquid inside the eyes dries slightly. It's said that the power of movement of the eyes lessens. Inner signs of this, according to Goose Mudger, said to be the rising of smoke-like appearances. So going back to that quote from the Goose Mudger, subsequent tantra we had the mirage-like is the first, which happens at the dissolution of the of the uh, of the earth element mirage-like appearance and then uh, when the water element dissolves and the liquid in the body dries up we have the arising of smoke-like appearances i'll skip the quote the aggregate of discernment dissolves after the aggregate of feeling going through the skandhas at this point the fire element becomes less able to function on a base of consciousness and the ability of the wind element becomes more prevalent or obvious the uh, outer signs are that though the gathering of the through the gathering of the body seat of feeling of heat is no longer experienced so the heat retracts inward towards the heart center and memory and so one becomes cold at the extremities or more cold because they're already cold because they're in a hospital right hospitals are always cold and memory becomes lost and that one is unable to recognize even one's closest relatives inner signs of this according to goose mother are the appearance uh, rising of appearances like fireflies or scattering sparks Derek, and, can i ask a question yeah <laughs> this all makes sense to me if someone dies naturally or of old age or of illness but like if you get your head chopped off in your 20s i guess all this would happen like right after your head got chopped off it would it would happen in a very fast way okay yeah but uh yeah that's that's a good question this is the slow process of dying whereas more instantaneous death such as the mention the method you just mentioned um it, it seems like all of these outer signs of the of the elements collapsing and the five skandhas collapsing would happen like instantaneously and and then the uh inner ones would happen uh, presumably in, in sort of a more standard order because they're not as dependent upon the physical body but you know like what what if the body got instantaneously evaporated in an atom bomb you know it's like gone um so, so there is the formless yeah. body that would that would remain but if your sorry, head Chris. gets chopped off your part, heart's going to keep bumping right so that's going to dry you out because all your blood's going to be squirting out of your neck. And then if a nuclear bomb, well, that just evaporates all, so you dry out, right? You still go through the process. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> There's not much to dry out, but okay. Let's see. We had the appearance of the firelights, and we don't need to re. Oh, the quote. Okay, so. When the aggregate of discernment, the third skandha dissolves, there's no recognition of what's around you. 
and the exalted wisdom of fine investigation dissolves to the extent that it was present before one does not remember the names of anything including one's relatives and the fiery element dissolves one cannot ingest any food the no sense faculty dissolves the upper wind stacked one on top of the other go into the ground <laughs> and the objects to smell dissolve the objects to smell within one's own body are no longer smelt Aggregate of conditioning factors, the force gone dissolves after that, and the wind element becomes less able to function, so the outer sign is the cessation of the breath, and the inner sign is said to be the arising of the appearance, like a flickering oil lamp. So each of them has an outer sign and an inner sign at each stage of the dissolution, of the outer dissolutions. Uh, so the earlier appearance, like scattering sparks has become subtler and only a vivid reddish appearance remains at this point since the heartbeat has stopped and the breathing has ceased the event is commonly identified as death um let's see when the exalted wisdom of accomplishing activities dissolves in the quote sorry the aggregate of conditioning factors sees engagement of physical activity stops the exalted wisdom dissolves recollection of whatever of everything ceases and uh, so forth the life-sustaining winds and all the others ten winds move from their place of abiding and the tongue sense faculty dissolves the tongue thin thickens and shortens and its root turns blue physical tastes dissolve and the experience of the six types of taste ceases. After the aggregate of conditioning factors, the grosser levels of consciousness dissolve into the subtle levels of consciousness, the fifth skanda. This process is explained as follows. When the winds that are the mounts of the 80 conceptions in the nature of three luminosities dissolve, the first luminosity called empty dawns and appearance arise like moonlight in a cloudless sky. Then after that, luminosity is dissolved, the luminous radiance, very empty dawns, and a reddish or orange appearance, like sunlight shining in a clear sky. Then after that, luminosity too has dissolved, luminous eminence called great empty dawns, and a black appearance arises like a pristine sky pervaded by midnight darkness. And mindfulness declines and ceases. Then when the lack of mindfulness due to the black oblivion has cleared, the clear light called all empty dawns, and appearance arises like the pristine sky at daybreak it's free of any aspects of darkness moonlight or sunlight tainting the sky and this is the actual clear light where the text says wind dissolves into consciousness it means the following the wind that directly moves the conceptions in the nature of the three luminosities loses the ability to function as a mount of consciousness then because its ability transfers to the wind of the luminous appearance it's thought that the wind dissolves into the luminous appearance but not that all the winds dissolve at that time only the subtle innate wind functions as a basis of consciousness and there are no gross winds when the elements withdraw this is when the wind dissolves into the luminous appearance this dis then dissolves into luminous radiance and luminous imminence and then the all empty clear light the way the subtle mind gives rise to the gross minds in the reverse order 
any consciousness that arises from the clear light it's, is itself called mind, mental cognition, or consciousness. It is the root of all phenomena, for out of the nature of the pure and afflictive arise the dual conceptions of self and others. Wind is the matter of that consciousness, that from wind comes fire, from fire comes water, from water comes earth, from those come the five aggregates, the six bases, and the five objects. All of these are a mixture of consciousness and wind, and there follows the experience of the clearly active three luminosities that have the nature of the three consciousnesses, and when the luminosities as their cause, the indicative conceptions fully arise. Okay, so I guess all the apparatus comes first, and then the cognitions, the indicative conceptions arise. When a slight movement of wind swells up from the clear light, so re-arising from the clear light of death, first the luminous immanence, then the radiance and appearance arise, then the reverse process of the four occurs, from the flickering like an oil lamp to the mirage-like appearance. All four occur immediately prior to conception in the womb. However, in terms of the gross elements serving as the base for consciousness, first wind, fire, water, and earth arise in serial order, then the aggregates of form and so on, and the bases, such as the eye sense faculties arise. Interesting that there's no mention of the bardo of dharmata or becoming, as uh, Eric mentioned here. You know, and uh, in the tantric systems, the, uh, you know, Nagarjuna lived very early on, but he didn't write that text until much later on because he lived for 600 years, right? And, um, and then the Kala Chakra appears like, in uh, the 10th or 11th century and uh, the Gui Samaja appears in like the 6th century maybe 7th century so um, which correlates with uh, Nagarjuna being 600 years old in the year 750 so he's uh, he was that text the Panchakrama the five stages was his probably his last book before he finally left this realm. And uh, the reason I'm going through this historical stuff is that the whole uh, description of the bardos that we know so well and is so popular and well-known from the so-called Tibetan Book of the Dead or the Bardo Tudral is, uh, doesn't appear until like I think the 13th century. It's discovered I think by Karma Lingpa one of the, the, the Lingpas, as a terma from Padmasambhava. But uh, until that discovery, I don't think there's there's the whole system of the bardos and the experience of the bardo states is not talked about, I think. So it's, it's like absent from this whole period of the earlier tantra, of the earlier period of tantras up until that time. And so it, it's not addressed and... Uh, the death state is considered to be as it is in most other Buddhist traditions. If you've looked at other Buddhist traditions, they don't have this idea of the bardo of 49 days and so forth, but they have this idea that we go rather quickly from death to the clear light to the next rebirth. And so I think that's why we see the glossing over of the bardo states here, but that's a good question. We should ask Robert Thurman about this. Well, there's also the, the notion that while we talk about, I mean, it's talked about conventionally as 49 days, but then when they talk about what is a day, 
You know, they talk about a day is what they call a meditation day. And that meditation day essentially correlates to how long you can actually sustain your mind in samadhi in samadhi or nature of mind or whatever you want to call it. And so therefore, in that sense, most people, because they have not trained in that way, would go very, very quickly through those things and would not they would be nowhere near 49 days in our conventional terminology. So I think that, I mean, that notion of 49 days, though it's a useful structure for ceremonies and things like that, it's not a hard and fast timing at all. Thank you for that. Yeah, days can be pretty quick, huh? Especially <laughs> as you get older, it's like, before you know it. Okay, the so. other thing that it doesn't really correlate with is the precious human birth and how difficult it is to take human form yeah say more about you don't know what birth you're going to come back to there's no guarantee that after you go through this that you're coming back human yeah Uh, true precisely the opposite right damn i sure so they say (laughs) that's why we work on the merit and karma aspect Uh oh i forgot about that (laughs) not too late Okay, you're right. Never too late. Never too late. Well, when you die, isn't it too late then? Well, the death is your opportunity. If it, now is after, the time after to prepare you for die. it. Right, after you die, it's too late. Okay. Right, too, too late to work on karma then, yeah. You just got to, then you got to <laughs> ride what you did. Okay, let's see. The reverse process occurred, I think around 231, right? The reverse process occurs, flickering of an oil lamp, cool images, right? And and these images, by the way, are reminiscent of the experiences that one has when entering into samadhi. We Here and there you see the reference to like weird sensory experiences as one deepens in one's experience of samadhi, and they're similar. Fireflies, smoke, light, light uh, flashes. Okay, according to the Kala Chakra text, the way in which a human being's body, which is endowed with the six elements and born from a womb, develops, should be understood. When extremely subtle mind of clear light, the mind referred to by the term foundation consciousness, i.e., Ali Vijnana, I guess, emerges after the cessation. Of I don't. I don't. They think don't. So. They wouldn't say that. I don't anyway. think so. I know you said that before, but then the yeah. very next paragraph, they specifically said foundation consciousness mind of clear light so i think they're talking about the much much lower level or whatever you want to call it higher level of of um, they must be because it's the the only you're one talking dharma here not 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 alaya vishnana i don't know we'll have to look into that too uh the foundation consciousness because the alaya vishnana persists until enlightenment right so uh, something's got to carry the seeds even through death but the Galukpas are not you know but Yamakas they're not into Ali Vijnana so they don't really talk about it much but the, whether whether we can correlate it at, accurately or not is an interesting question it, it, I would just say it's not clear because it seems like 
Mind of Clear Light and Alia Vijnana, I would not say are synonymous in normal terms. I'm sorry, you're saying the Mind of Clear Light is not clear? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay, we got to ask we got to ask Thurman about these two things. What are we asking him about the Bardo thing? Uh, where's that thing called send again? No, Bardo. Maybe we can get him to visit us, our class, and explain this for us. Is he the one that actually wrote this section? I forgot. No. No, okay. No. But he's like a, he's he big speak, on. He can speak for the Galukvas, huh? <laughs> Plus the Tibetan Book of the Dead, he teaches all the time on Tibetan That's right, Book of he the does. Dead. And, That's right. and this Nyingma stuff now, you see all the stuff that comes out of Tibet House and Menla with Thurman. He's teaching yoga and like cosmic this and love. And <laughs> he's just like all over the place. And oh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. But the extremely subtle mind of clear light, the mind referred to by the term foundation consciousness, emerges after the cessation of the intermediate state. It enters into the center of the egg and the sperm generated from the sexual union of the mother and the father into the center of the egg and the sperm. They're two different entities. Does that mean after the egg and the sperm have united, presumably? It, yeah, it doesn't quite make sense as stated. Yeah. Uh, whereby the three things, consciousness, egg and sperm, come together in the mother's womb and the sentient being's body comes to be formed. In the case of this globule... <laughs> This mixture of consciousness, egg and sperm. Um, the earth element of the mother's womb supports it. The butter element makes it cohere. The fire element matures it. You're baking it. And the wind element increases in the space element. The empty aspect of the womb allows it to grow. It's funny how the space element actually performs a function. This globule. Accommodation, isn't that the way we think of space? It accommodates everything? Yeah, it's very busy. It's very busy. It's all over the place. It's doing that everywhere. This globule is a mixture of consciousness, egg, and sperm in the womb, and its earth element makes it heavy and solid. That way, like when you forget to get something from the grocery store, you can just say, well, space wouldn't accommodate it. There was no room for it in space. Um, it isn't space infinite? Anything that acts is not infinite. I don't know. It's water element makes it more. It's fire element makes it mature. It's wind element, which is the seat of the ten winds that will come about in the future, causes its body to expand, and the element of space allows the body to grow. 
pretty repetitive, I guess, a little bit repetitive. The above tantric explanation referencing primarily the psyche of teaching of Gui Samadra about how the stages of death occur in the basic state, how the gross stages dissolve into the subtler stages and how the subtle levels give rise to the grosser levels applies not only to how birth and death occur in cyclic existence, even within the cycle of a single day and night during the three states of waking, dreaming, and deep sleep, there's a process of consciousness moving from the grosser to the subtler levels and back. Likewise, even with respect to the arising of a single moment of consciousness, the texts speak of how one can differentiate between an empty state as in deep sleep, a state in which consciousness is oriented toward becoming active, um, as in dreaming, and a state of full manifest consciousness as in the waking state. This is they're, they're sort of describing what Trungpa Rinpoche said of, uh, you know, how we have the bardo happens every moment, and they're describing it in their lingo same sort of thing also the primordial mind of clear light or the innate state which is utterly beyond language and conceptualization beyond subject and object duality can arise during the basic state so you can achieve enlightenment instantaneously any moment because you have all these states happening you have the three luminosities happen in the dissolution in the order of dissolution every moment that consciousness dissolves and then the three luminosities reappear in the reverse order and the so forth but you don't have the gross dissolutions and the gross re-arising re every moment obviously this is pointed out in buddha sri jnana's two stages of meditating on reality <clears throat> the limitless perfect joy of the dharmakaya is experienced <clears throat> just for a moment at death fainting sleep yawning or coitus what is coitus is that a disease what if one were to meditatively cultivate oh what a cool quote isn't that this is like the source where like we hear endlessly what are the different states where you can experience this the clear light of of, uh, of the true nature of mind death fainting passing out sleep deep sleep yawning <laughs> yawning yeah we should I think they sometimes, don't they sometimes also put sneezing in there yeah maybe that's like a mistranslation or something for sneezing Rip yeah i don't think i ever heard sneezing. yawning before i don't think so either but maybe we should do more yawning and see and yawning is good no i mean qigong teachers have you do you know cultivate yawn essentially deliberately wow uh, it, yawning is very good um that's but it's great. mostly because it just opens up the kind of oxygenation too. Uh -huh. I so I, sh I shouldn't be suppressing my yawns. No, no, I? no, no. I do that all the time because I'm embarrassed to be oh, yawning. No. <laughs> no wonder I have such ill health. I've been distorting the winds. But anyway, even in the case of ordinary beings, when one experiences death, fainting, deep sleep, yawning, and coitus. Am I pronouncing that right? Specifically, when experiencing orgasm, there arises just for a moment. That is for a short time, something similar to the naturally arisen primordial mind. A little touch of like Dzogchen there at the end. That's nice. <laughs> Sorry to go over. Uh, comments? No. I, I don't want to oversimplify their gross elaborations, but why can't we just say these winds are what's 
carrying whatever through from our minds to matter to the Ali Vishnana, right? It, that's what these winds are doing. Those things get mixed and based on the subtlety of the wind, the elaboration of the wind. It seems a lot simpler than all this stuff. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> well, speaking of the winds, I'm, I'm just curious. It's funny how at this level, everybody's okay with sort of glossing how the wind and the mount and the mind and the wind are described with very different functions, as you mentioned before, and yet are also described as inseparable and the same and the same entity and all that. Whereas, you know, you look at how the lower schools get pummeled for their, you know, partless, their whole thing of particles. And, you know, you can't have six sides, you know, one thing can't be adjacent to another because then there would be another thing there. And so at that level, it's not okay to make these distinctions of, you know, parts and sides and directions. But here you can talk about completely different functions, doing things to each other, and yet they're one. Just, I, I must admit it, it just, the more well, that's they- wind, wind mixes everything. It's like twisting and mixing and back and forth, up and down. You gotta watch wind and snow. You really see how turbulent it is. Uh, Derek, are you speaking? Because we're not, I'm not hearing. I don't know about. Oh, sorry. I had pressed my magical button. That, You're back. Thank you. That, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, in Vajrayana, all bets are off. And that you can re you can refer to like mixing up metaphors. So like in this Long Chenpa text that I had mentioned before that I've been reading, he's talking about this very uh, Dzogchen description of the emerge of uh, the emergence of reality within the ground and uh, he, he says at one point and then um, the ground takes the sh takes the shape of the body with the uh, made up of partless particles anyway let's uh, dedicate the merit and call it a morning or an afternoon call it an afternoon by this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death from the ocean of samsara. May I free all beings by the confidence of the golden sun of the great east. May the lotus garden of the rigged and just and bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. For Emily there, it's in uh, 2, two thirty in the afternoon. It's time for coffee, mid-afternoon coffee or tea time. And it's fall for her. We just entered spring. Yep. Yeah. yeah it's she's a fall gonna, afternoon here. She's going to break <laughs> out her winter clothes soon. <laughs> Goes down to 50, I hear. Yes, 50. <laughs> Great to see you, Emily. Great to see everyone. Thank you. Thank Take care. You. See you Bye. next week. Bye.